0: Hey everyone! If you would like to support what I'm doing with Controversies in Church History and help me to expand its reach, please click on my Anchor page and click the Support button to donate. Thank you for listening. Hello, my name is Derek Taylor. I am the creator of Controversies in Church History, podcast. And with this episode, I am going to begin a new series, a brief Catholic Lives series, in which I'll do a little shorter episode shorter than the recordings of my normal lectures here in Kansas City, and give you uh, a brief life of an interesting, or maybe not well-known figure in history who was Catholic. And uh, with this first episode, I begin with, uh, not an individual, but a group, in fact, an army unit, the Battalion of St. Patrick. So let us begin. In July of 1845, President James K Polk of the United States sent General Zachary Taylor to Texas with 3,500 troops to occupy disputed land between the border of the United States and the Republic of Mexico. At the same time, Polk wrote the American consul in the Mexican territory of Alta California, today California, Disclaiming any American ambitions in California, however, but instructing the ambassador of the consul to offer support for any independence movement that might arise in California. Later on in the winter of 1845-46, Polk also dispatched the explorer John C. Fremont and a group of armed men to California, uh, at the same time gave his naval commanders orders to seize San Francisco and other coastal towns in case of war with Mexico. Finally, in November of 1845, James K. Polk also sent John Slidell, a secret uh, secret representative of his, to Mexico City with an offer to buy, for $30 million, the Rio Grande border in Texas, as well as Alta California and Santa Fe in Mexican territory. By this time, having been provoked by the presence of American troops on the border, the Mexican government refused to meet with Slidell. Several months later, in May of 1846, things having gotten to the tipping point, Mexican forces attacked an American army outpost in the occupied territory, killing 12 US soldiers and capturing 52. These same troops later laid siege to an American fort along the Rio Grande River. Shortly thereafter, President Polk asked Congress to declare war on Mexico, reading out to them a message he had drafted well before the start of the hostilities. Congress obliged and thus started the US-Mexican War of 1846 to 1848. Fired by visions of expansion, uh, expanding the country across the continent, Uh, James K. Polk was inspired, as many were at the time, by the idea of quote-unquote manifest destiny. This is the idea that the Anglo-Saxon Protestant civilization that the United States represented uh, had a mission a divine mission, even, to settle and conquer the North American continent. And so acting on desires for land, the president had provoked, intentionally, a war with its southern neighbor. And it is here, in this war, that begins the brief life of the Battalion of St. Patrick, the Bataillon de San Patricio, in, in uh, Spanish. And its unique history occurs about the same time that Zachary Taylor is occupying uh, <clears throat> the disputed territory in Mexico, for the war starts in May of 1846, but already by April of 1846, soldiers had already begun deserting from Zachary Taylor's army to the Mexican side. By April, some 46 had been reported deserting, and it was these deserters who would actually form the nucleus of the Bataillon de San the Mexican army was accustomed to forming foreign legions, so, uh, so to speak, out of, uh, made up of non Mexicans in their army. But what made this battalion, it'll later on, get the name of a battalion after the war, made it unique was that it was comprised almost wholly of deserters from the American army. So you have a group of deserters from the American side going to Mexico and fighting for the Mexican army against the United States army. The key figure in all of this was a man named John Riley, an Irishman from uh, County Galway uh, in Ireland. Uh, Not much is known about him with certainty. Uh, His own uh, writings from the time were actually frequently contradictory. Uh, We do know that he had been a non-commissioned officer in the British Army stationed in Canada, had deserted from there, uh, made his way to the United States and enlisted in the army in 1845. His regiment was sent to Texas and then he is one of those people who deserted in 1846 while encamped outside of Matamoros in northern Mexico. And uh, he either was joined up uh, voluntarily or was recruited by the Mexican army uh, as a uh, first lieutenant of artillery in their army. <clears throat> now, the Battalion of San Patricios gets its na- Patricio gets its name because of Riley. He gives it its name, and it has that connotation. Of course, St. Patrick goes back to Ireland and Irishmen, people of Irish descent, formed the largest contingent of the battalion, but there might by no means a majority. There was a large contingent of German uh, Americans in the, uh, in the regiment, in the battalion, uh, as well as members who were from other countries. Uh, majority of immigrants to the United States initially. But this Irish Catholic link provided a sort of uh, nomenclature and cohesion for the group. Uh, Riley not only chose the name he actually created a flag an emerald green banner emblazoned with a gold harp and a shamrock in certain versions of it but they all said it was green and had this banner with it and this becomes part this has become part of the sort of lore and there's a mythology surrounding the uh, bataillon de San patricio in uh, Mexico, which identifies them with Ireland and with the Irish, but uh, very much mythologized because there were different um, groups along with the Irish in this battalion. The thing that makes the the battalion of Saint Patrick so uh, amenable to this sort of mythologizing is the fact that the battalion of San Patricio, um, by the witness of hostile American sources at the time, you know, the American uh, army soldiers and officers, they all uh, all agree that the battalion uh, acquitted itself very well in uh, battles against the U.S. Army. The San Patricios uh, fought at Matamoros in 1846, May of 1846, at Battle of Monterey in September of 1846, at uh, the Battle of Buena Vista in February of 1847, Battle of Cerro Gordo in 1847, before retreating back to Mexico City. And then finally, the last effort to defend that city at Valaturobusco in August of 1847, and this is the final battle they fought. Uh, about that uh, time, about 60 percent of the battalion, which was made of about 200 men, was either killed or captured. At Turubusco, uh, the San Patricios, by all accounts, fought tenaciously. According to some reports, they managed to. Um, Uh, managed to tear down uh, a Mexican flag of surrender that had been put up three different times. And again, they would have had, you know, good motivation to do this. You know, they might be subject to hanging since most of them were deserters. Before finally running out of ammunition and being forced to surrender. Of the 85 that did surrender, uh, 72 were known to have deserted and were court-martialed by the U.S. Army. All of them, including John Riley, were condemned to death. However, General Winfield Scott, in his review of the findings of the court-martial, decided that those men who had deserted before the war had been declared could not be executed. This saved Riley and a few others from execution, Uh, but he was flogged and branded on both cheeks with the letter D for desertion. Altogether, something like 50 men were condemned to hang, and these executions took place in several batches, the most spectacular being a mass hanging of 30 men, on gallows that were erected uh, facing a castle that the Americans were trying to take, Chapultepec Castle, which they were assaulting. And orders were given that the moment that they took the castle, and then this actually happened, the moment the flag was raised over the citadel, the signal was given to execute those 30 men so that the last sight that these deserters and traitors would see would be the fall of the Mexican government to the American army. So the American army took very seriously these deserters and tried to make an example of them, did they of the uh, San Patricios. Those members of the battalion that survived the hangings were imprisoned in U.S. occupied Mexico. And um, interesting thing that happens while they're still negotiating the peace treaty after the fall of Mexico City is that even within that time frame, there were still people deserting from the American side to the Mexican side. But eventually the treaty is signed, the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo, in February of 1848. Prisoners were exchanged, and the last of the San Patricios were released in June of that year. It was actually only after the war ended that that, that the uh, San Patricios were organized into a battalion consisting of two companies, with John Riley as uh, their lieutenant colonel in command. And, in fact, its life was short-lived after the war. The unit was immediately embroiled in the political upheaval following the uh, the uh, cessation of the war in Mexico. And the Mexican government commanded the battalion to help put down a military revolt. What happened was one of the San Patricio companies apparently conspired with these uh, uh, revolutionaries, And the government apparently believed Riley and the other company would join as well. So they immediately disbanded the battalion and exiled all of its officers. Riley himself was quote-unquote retired and sent to Veracruz, presumably to leave the country uh, because it was a port city. And this is the last we we know of John Riley. Apparently most of the San Patricios left Mexico, although a few stayed behind and presumably left descendants there. Thus ended the life of the Battalion of St. Patrick. So this leads us with a couple of questions. The biggest is, okay, two things. One, you know, um, what does Catholicism have to do with all this? Uh, And that leads to another question. Why did these United States soldiers desert? One interesting fact about the U.S.-Mexican-American War is that the American army experienced the highest rate, highest desertion rate among its soldiers during the Mexican War of any of its history. Uh, Eight percent of its army deserted during that war. What are the reasons for this? Well, one of which is, one is that uh, discipline in the American Army was very harsh and often unjust. Uh, the punishment of flogging, which was controversial at the time, some people wanted to ban it, was very commonplace. Really brutal uh, beatings uh, with the whips. Also, many of the rank and file soldiers that were recruited; these were mostly volunteers in the Army, were in fact recent immigrants to the United States. And uh, like John Riley, and this meant that a lot of them had not established as of yet deep ties to the country. So they didn't, probably didn't feel much compunction about moving on from it if they didn't like what was going on in the army. Um, moreover, one of the biggest reasons that uh, American uh, witnesses to the war saw for the desertion of soldiers was the fact that the Mexicans made very great efforts to get them to desert. Uh, Mexican authorities offered good pay, promotions, and promises of land to American deserters who enlisted. And so you have, you know, um, um, a lot of them probably being prompted by this, people who deserted. You also had some, by the way, some who were, you know, uh, court-martialed later on for uh, deserting claiming they they had been picked up by Mexican forces when they were drunk and then coerced into enlisting. This may not, by the way, be a totally um, (laughs) fictitious thing. This sometimes happens when they were trying to do this. But there was also a sense among some that the war was unjust. Uh, Ulysses S. Grant would later admit that the, because he had been a junior officer with Zachary Taylor's army, that the army had been sent to Mexico to quote-unquote provoke a fight. Uh, but one of them that was essential that Mexico should start it, so they wouldn't be blamed for it. Uh, and Grant deeply regretted this. Uh, he would write later in his memoirs in the 1880s that he had been bitterly opposed to the annexation of Mexico, uh, and he regarded his participation in it as a shameful, uh, shameful thing. Uh, and in fact, he admitted to a reporter in 1879 that, "quote I do not think there was ever a more wicked war than that waged by the United States on Mexico." I thought so at the time when I was a youngster, only I had not moral courage enough to resign, unquote. And perhaps some of these San Patricios felt the same way because one other element that modern historians think is a motivating factor for them deserting was the fact that many, some of these men must have been practicing Catholics in what was a clearly Protestant army at the time. Uh, Zachary Taylor's army, for example, only had two acting chaplains, one of whom was killed by bandits, the other one who spent his time mostly ministering in hospitals. Moreover, if you know anything about the 19th century in America, by the 1840s, the United States was a fiercely Protestant country. Uh, a series of revivals we call the 2nd Great Awakening had been occurring since the early 1800s uh, had turned the country into an evangelical Protestant country. And, in fact, the ideology of Manifest Destiny we know as a racial one, you know, it extolled Anglo-Saxon supremacy over other civilizations, but it was also a religious one. Protestant ministers and other writers often argue that Catholicism was one of the reasons that Mexico was backward, was less successful militarily, economically speaking, than the United States. Some of these Protestant ministers, even uh, in public, wrote um, of the war, welcoming it as an opportunity to spread Protestantism to that country. Furthermore, a lot of the rank and file soldiers that had been recruited as uh, volunteers came from areas in the United States which were rural, which did not have a lot of experience um, with Catholicism or Catholics. And so when they went to Mexico and saw the religious practices there, saw the Catholic mass, saw Catholic processions, uh, these practices look backward and even pagan into them. <clears throat> and beyond this, we have accounts of soldiers, as you often do in war, um, committing acts of violence against Catholic churches, disrupting masses, stripping churches of their altar vessels on their precious items, uh, as well as committing outright acts of vandalism and destruction, some of which were clearly aimed at profaning what these soldiers considered to be idolatry. And If you've been, by the way, raised in an uh, Anglo-Saxon home, if you were from that culture, you know anything about uh, Mexican Catholicism. It can look a lot different from what you're used to. And so to a lot of these Protestant soldiers, this must have seemed like idolatry. Now, some of this plunder, by the way, some of this destruction of Catholic churches must have been mere plunder, unrelated to religious belief. But uh, as one historian has put it, these actions could not have been but shaped by the prevailing anti Catholicism that was prevalent in the country and fed into Manifest Destiny. So you have soldiers who probably, you know, their own officers probably have contempt of them. Their own soldiers don't, are kind of suspicious of them. We know that efforts were made, um, excuse me, but know that, um, you know, those, some of those soldiers uh, experienced um, um, prejudice uh, in the army. So even though it's, not, it's, it's impossible to disentangle every motive that led the San Patricios uh, to desert, uh, among those must be included the atmosphere in which they found themselves in a Protestant country, in a Protestant army essentially, not, not officially, but unofficially, fighting against uh, a Catholic country. with a Catholic army? And so their story is an interesting one for us today because, of course, they were technically, they were committing treason. They were deserting from their country. But they found... Least some of them did the call of their faith more important, and in fact, uh, this is sometimes the case within uh, history that our loyalty as Catholics may come into conflict with the country we live in. That's mostly not the case and doesn't need to be. But a reminder that, uh, uh, that there have been times in the past in this country, and the Bataillon de Pas San Patricio is a reminder of this, that uh, the Catholic faith has endured turbulent times uh, when it has been a minority. Uh, this, in this case, in a Protestant country, and um, and uh, led it into um, this uh, test of loyalties, which may have pushed it to pushed it to what contemporary saw uh, as treason, or even uh, even as treason. So, that's the uh, uh, brief life of the Battalion of St. Patrick, the Bataillon de San Patricio. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please go to iTunes or Stitcher or wherever, wherever, wherever else you get a uh, hold of the podcast. Please subscribe, like the podcast, please share it with others. Uh, the more people listen to it, the more it will help me <clears throat> um, as well. Please visit uh, our Facebook page uh, or any of our social media platforms or Instagram, on Twitter. I uh, also have a website. Uh, please visit that as well. Please leave feedback, comments, uh, anything you'd like. I uh, appreciate it. would love to hear from you all. Please spread the word about this. I'd love people to know more about what uh, what I'm doing here. Also, if you are in the Kansas City area, uh, the next actual my next lecture I'm giving in Kansas City is this coming Monday, the, uh, the 25th, the Feast of the and the talk is entitled uh, Necessary Additions, the uh, Marian Dogmas 1854 and 1950, which uh, it concerns the uh, definition of the modern Marian Dogmas of the Immaculate Conception in 1854 and uh, 1950, the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin into Heaven. So, um, hopefully, uh, you enjoyed this. Uh, hopefully, I'll hear from some of you in person or online. Uh, take care, you guys, and God bless.